Hey guys, Jake Steele, Iron and Steel. This is podcast episode number seven. Thank you so much for being here. So I'm going to try to just jump right into it. Uh, I'm going to read you a story off my website, which is ironandsteel.com. And this story is called Road Trip Roadster. So we'll get through that and then I'm going to jump into uh, answering a few questions that I received. So we'll get through Road Trip Roadster and then we'll do like a Q&A thing. So if you haven't been on the site, if you haven't seen this article, I would highly recommend going there and checking it out. Um, mostly because there's photos of this car and the car is killer. And it doesn't matter how I tell the story or whatever. There's no substitute for seeing this thing like firsthand or seeing it for yourself. And it's definitely worth it in this case. This is a basically a time capsule built in 64, parked in 66 and untouched until um, Eric Wolf is his name, local guy, a friend of mine, completely untouched until 2014 when Eric bought it. And so <clears throat> what's interesting about this is that Eric and his son hop on a plane. The car's in like the middle of nowhere, Indiana, and we're in Portland, Oregon. And uh, Eric and his son, Jack, they hop on a plane, fly to Indiana, buy this car that hasn't ran since 66, and they just basically say, fuck it, and jump in it, buy it, jump in it, and then drive it home to Portland, which is like, I don't know, 2,000 plus miles. So huge nuts on these guys for doing that. And I don't know if that's something that I would do necessarily, maybe when I was younger, but I it's a killer story they just did it they flew there drove it home it worked out awesome the car's bitching and uh it's definitely worth checking out so again ironandsteel.com road trip roadster older story four or five years old so it's on probably the third second or third page but uh yeah i would recommend scrolling through and finding it so you can see the car for yourself so while you're there uh hit the subscribe button punch in your email so that you can be updated when there's uh, new stories on the site, which is often, uh, or new podcasts or merch or whatever. So again, ironandsteel.com, go there, check it out. Road trip roadster, subscribe, sign up on the email thing and, uh, yeah, do all that stuff. So again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm going to get right into the story now, road trip roadster and, uh, kick back, relax, and I'll tell you how it went down. Thanks again. Who knows what, quote, normal people daydream about? Maybe catching a big fish or shaving a stroke or two off their golf game? Who knows? And honestly, who cares? For car guys, or more specifically, hot rod guys, almost every one of us has the same sort of fantasy. Finding an old hot rod stuffed away, hidden and forgotten. Yes, to be the guy that gets to drag a dusty relic from its resting place after spending decades unseen is our equivalent to catching the big one. Unlike some smelly fish, though, the fruits of our tireless labor won't be capped off by unceremoniously tossing it back where we found it. We're hauling that sucker home. Or, if you're Eric Wolf, driving it home. Now, Eric was a bit of a wild child. He grew up in Portland, Oregon in the 1970s, and by the time he was 17, he had purchased his first chopper, a 72 shovelhead. This started him down the path of a long love affair with Harley Davidson's, but his obsession didn't stop with bikes. As it often does, 
His two-wheeled interests crossed over and intertwined with Hot Rods as well. Now, it didn't hurt that Hot Rods and bikes seemed to run in the family. It turns out that Eric's uncle is a man named Bill Hoffman, who, in 1957, built a heavily customized 53 Chevy that graced the cover of Rod and Custom magazine in 1958. It was featured there in its original configuration before it received the radical flame job we associate with it today. Uncle Bill was also interested in motorcycles and began his hell-raising career in his teenage years by doing things like riding his Triumph motorcycle up the stairs, down the main hallway, and out the back door of his high school, a stunt that landed him a lengthy suspension. Now, with influences like this, Eric was destined to spend his young life seeking cheap thrills in any number of fast cars and big cube Harleys. Fast forward to 2014, Eric is now a father of two teenagers, Sadie and Jack. He's also running his company, Wolf and Son Cabinet Makers, a well-established woodworking shop that has specialized in high-end cabinetry for Portland's most distinguished homeowners for more than 20 years. Now, although woodworking had taken the front seat, his love of motorcycles and hot rods never went away. And by this time, his son, Jack, was just about driving age and shared his dad's passion for traditional hot rods. Eric found himself looking to build or buy a hot rod roadster to enjoy with his son. With a budget in mind, the two began hunting for a suitable project to take on. Somewhere along the way, a family friend called Eric to see if he were still looking for a hot rod. Eric said that he was and listened as his buddy went on to explain. It seemed that this friend had heard of an old hot rod in town that had been built in the early 60s and stashed away shortly afterward. It all sounded great. The only problem was that this particular buddy had moved out of Portland sometime before. He was calling from Indiana, and the car in question was more than 2,000 miles away. Still, Eric was intrigued. Before long, he had the gentleman on the phone and asking questions about the car he might have available for sale. As the man on the other end went on to explain, it was a 1930 Model A Roadster. It was heavily channeled with a 348, backed by a Muncie, and sporting a story any hot rodder would absolutely kill for. The man's tale went something like this. The car was originally built by a high school kid here in Indiana. Now, I don't remember his name, but he was a very talented young man. You can tell when you look at the craftsmanship on this thing. It doesn't look like some thrown-together, home-built clunker. It looks like it was built by a professional. He built it in 1964, and in 1965, it won Best Street Roadster in the Indy Autorama. He drove the thing to school every day, and from what he told me, he put more than 30,000 miles on it in less than two years. Well, when I saw it, I just had to have it. Now, he didn't want to sell it, but I had money, and I made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Now, from there, the story takes kind of a funny turn. It seems as though this guy may have had a little more money than common sense. You see, he went on to explain that he was six feet, six inches tall. Simply put, there was no way he could fit in that car with that heavy channel job. I never drove it, the man on the other end explained. He said, I bought this car in 1966, and it has literally sat in my garage ever since. 
It looks like the day I bought it off that kid. Blown away by what he was hearing, Eric immediately made arrangements for he and Jack to fly out to see the car. His last question was simple and slightly shocking. He asked, do you think the car would make the drive back to Oregon? A perplexed voice on the other end responded that he bet it would, and he agreed to change the fluids and put a new battery in it for him if that's what he thought he was going to do. And just like that, Eric and his son Jack were on their way to Anderson, Indiana. Once there, the two wasted no time. They made their way to the man's house, checked out the roadster, and found it to be just exactly as the gentleman had described. It was amazingly well kept. After walking around it, a quick trip around the block and a simple handshake, the deal was done. And just as quickly as they had arrived, they were on their way back. The two set out to make their journey back home to Portland with open headers and no top. When asked about the trip back, Eric describes just two small hiccups. The first was that the foam in the seat had basically disintegrated after years of sitting. After an hour, it felt like the two were sitting directly on the seat springs. This made for a torturous driving experience, no matter the amount of jackets, hoodies, pillows, and whatever else they could find to stuff under themselves. The only other bad thing that happened along the way actually ended up being little more than just a funny story in the end. It's one that Eric smirks his way through when he tells it, and it goes something like this. Well, it was late one night, and I was hammering along pretty good. Jack was asleep, somehow, even with the open headers. And I was doing, I think, between 90 and 95 or so on this open stretch of highway. Out of nowhere, I see blue lights behind me, so I pull over. This wakes Jack up, and I tell him, Look, our little journey may be about to take a slight detour. So this cop walks up, and he asks, Do you know how fast you were going? Of course I played dumb. I told him the speedo needle jumps around quite a bit, but I admitted I was probably speeding. He informed me that he had in fact clocked this at nearly 100 miles an hour. Now I was very polite to him and he seemed like a pretty decent guy, but he was definitely irritated with me. He asked, just where are you headed in such a hurry anyway? I told him we're on our way to Portland. Well, then he got even more agitated. He told me in a huff that we're headed the wrong direction to be going to Maine. That's when I explained that no, we were actually on our way to Portland, Oregon. He just stared at me for a while. Then he walked around the car, walked around it again, came back and said, have a safe trip and slow the fuck down. He tossed my license back to me and we sped away. Three days and approximately 2,200 miles later, the two were back in Portland. Unbelievably, they had managed to make it back with no mechanical issues, no tows, no repairs, and no tickets. Just a couple sore backsides from the worn-out seat and a great story to tell. This would be just the first of what would be many, many adventures in the high school hot rod. The only real change was some updated upholstery complete with new foam to make it a little more comfortable to drive. Other than that, the car is exactly the way it was built in 1964. Eric and his son Jack have spent the last few years driving, enjoying, and maintaining the Roadster with zero plans to make any changes. Eric says, 
Really, we're just the caretakers of this car. It's just as simple as that. Now, the only thing Eric and Jack would like to change is the fact that there's very little history known about the car and its original builder. The gentleman they purchased it from did not recall the guy's name, and he never saw him again. Now, it's pretty likely that someone has photos of this unique hot rod from the two-year period between 64 and 66, when it was originally built, driven, and shown regularly. If anyone recognizes this car from Anderson, Indiana, in the mid-1960s, or knows anything about it, please make contact through this site, and let's put the pieces of the puzzle together. Okay, there you have it. Road Trip Roadster. Ironandsteel.com is the website. Again, I would recommend going there just, uh, if nothing else, just to see that story specifically, just so you can see the photos. There's some killer photos that my friend Ben took of this car. The car is indescribable. It's everything that you could ever hope for in like a, you know, time capsule, you know, survivor, you know, find all the, all these cliche things that uh, we throw around. That's, that's what this car is 110% and it's absolutely bitching. So ironandsteel.com road trip roadster, go there and check it out. I still can't believe that those dudes flew from fucking Portland to Indiana and drove this thing back after not running for 50, you know, whatever, 60 years, whatever it was, but, uh, but they did and it worked out and uh, they've got a great story to tell for the rest of their lives. So uh, yeah, go there and check that out. It's on the third or fourth page or second or third page and uh, it's an older story, but it's buried in there somewhere. So uh, I'm going to answer some questions that I received. I get emails and uh, private messages on Instagram pretty often. Sometimes I'll ask if anybody has any weird questions or whatever about hot rods or writing or running a website or you know buying old cars whatever anything related to any of the things that i do um, sometimes i get some really good questions and uh, i'll just go through a couple real quick uh, today so uh, the first question was or is uh let's see was there one car that got you hooked um so no not really and in a not that i can remember and in a previous, I got a similar question like that one time. And uh, in a previous deal Q&A thing, I said, I mentioned the Jalopy Journal and how big of an influence that was to me at that point in my life, you know, 20 years ago, whatever, um, and how influential it was in getting me into, you know, this hobby. So I will add to that, that the cars that Chris and Corey Swenson up in Spokane, the cars that they were building at that time um, were pretty influential to me. Just very basic hot rods, but they always had the look, you know. Um, they were just putting together high boy roadsters and coupes that had the right stance and uh, just all the right stuff on them. And they were just no bullshit hot rods and really true to how hot rods were actually built back in the day. And uh, I remember Corey specifically had a 3031 Model 8 coupe. It was chopped like five inches, sat kind of high, but had the right stance. Um, fenderless, but ran a hood, you know, banger powered. I think it had mechanical brakes. I don't, I don't remember, but uh, I remember the car. I can see it in my head and it was just a bitching car. And those guys were putting together cars like that. Um, 
that really spoke to me, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, they've been doing it longer than I have and, uh, and doing a great job. And uh, so short answer, one car specifically that uh, got me into this or got me hooked or whatever. Not really that I can remember, but the, I will say that the cars that the uh, Swensons, Chris and Corey were building, um, definitely stuck with me and uh, were responsible for a lot of the things that I did um, once I did get into this hobby. So uh, the next question is, where is the line between hot rod and rat rod for you? Uh, saw blades, maybe? <laughs> so look, um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of cars that I think people refer to as rat rods now that are in my opinion not they're just unfinished cars you know maybe they're in primer or you know whatever they're you know these these were common they've always been common so guys used to call them jalopies or whatever but the deal was you know just regular guys trying to put together a car and uh maybe they're on a budget i mean everybody is um putting together a car maybe it's not painted it's just in primer maybe they put red wheels on it whatever not necessarily a rat rod, just an in-progress car. So that's one thing, and I'm totally okay with that. But, you know, where the line is, when you start gluing, you know, skill saw blades under your hood and running fucking barbed wire and painting, you know, 666 on your door, you know, these bobber trucks, fucking some international truck on uh, some square tubing chassis with fucking barbed wire and Jack Daniels bottles hanging off of them. You know, that's rat rod shit, obviously. And it's got nothing to do with traditional hot rods. These are mini truckers that have um, <laughs> progressed or um, devolved into whatever the fuck this rat rod stuff is. So I don't pay any attention to it. It's, uh, it's not my bag and, uh, you know, guys will do what they're going to do. But to answer your question fucking saw blades and uh, barbed wire. That's where I draw the line. Um, next question is, how do you decide what to write about? So I don't really do a lot of stuff for any magazines anymore, so nobody's asking me to, can you write this or will you do that? So it's just whatever pops into my head. And uh, a good example is the last uh, article I published a day or two ago on the website. It's called Stacked and it's about Robert Stack, the host from the original Unsolved Mysteries show. Uh, it's about how he was a hot rodder in the 1930s, 40s, and really throughout his whole life. So um, just a weird thing that popped into my head and uh, decided to write about it. So how do you decide what to write about? No fucking idea. Just uh, whatever pops into my head, I guess. Uh, the next question is just says recommendations for selling an old car. Uh, yeah. First thing is make sure I don't want to buy it. That would be first. So, um, that would be, yeah, if you could just email me and let me know what it is, that'd be cool. But no, in all seriousness, I outlined this in, uh, an article called selling made. E it was two articles. One's called selling made easy and the other one's buying made easy least less hard or something like that but it's on the second page of ironandsteel.com uh, it's just two articles that outline the process of buying and selling uh, antique cars and it sounds stupid but man i figured out most guys have no fucking clue how to properly advertise and sell an old car so 
Uh, to answer your question, recommendations for selling an old car, it's all on the website. So ironandsteel.com, Selling Made Easy is the name of the article. Everything's outlined there. So uh, The last question I got was, do you listen to anything when you write or do you have to be undisturbed? I can't have distractions when I'm concentrating. I'm wondering what it's like for other people. Uh, I usually have stuff playing like in the background. It's usually weird shit. Uh, you know, it's, well, it's like stuff like that Unsolved Mysteries show. I, I still watch reruns of that show. It's just background noise. But, you know, aside from Hot Rods, that's kind of my other interests or um, things that I, that I like is uh, just mysterious things, ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, you know, unsolved crime, shit like that. All the regular weirdo stuff. So, uh, yeah, I usually do have something playing in the background. It's something like that. If it's music, it's usually like you know, Bad Religion or something like that. So, so yeah, I do have... I don't need complete isolation or whatever. I need something to keep my the other half of my brain occupied while I try to punch this stuff out. So, so yeah, hopefully that answered uh, all of those questions. I appreciate it. Again, ironandsteel.com is the website. And uh, go there and hit the subscribe button. Punch in your email so you can get alerts when there's new articles. Uh, like I mentioned, that article stacked is new. I just put it up there uh, like two days ago or a day ago, whatever it was. So... I don't know, it's a quick read. There's some cool photos of him on there and uh, of his hot rod and, you know, at the dry lakes and all this stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Ironsteel.com. And uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being here. And uh, we'll do it again in one week. We'll see you soon. Thanks again. <laughs>